Last week we've talked about, who remembers what we talked about last week? Disappointment. Disappointment, we broke it down. Last week was disappointment with people. We talked about people being disappointed in us maybe because of sin or we just, we're disappointed in them because of sin in their life. Then we showed how people can be disappointed by making lifestyle choices that may not be sinful, but they're different than ours. We just don't, don't drive on some issues we agree on. Lastly, we talked about being, being disappointed in ourselves. And I think that's probably a, a bigger thing. We become disappointed in who we are, maybe decisions we've made or choices we make, and we wish we could do things differently. In all of those cases, we stress that our, our disappointment with either people or ourselves should not influence our walk with God. We should not be drawn away because of someone else and how they're, how they're living their lives. So today we're gonna talk about disappointment with God. Anybody ever disappointed in God? Doesn't come, he doesn't answer and do the things we want him to do in our timely manner. Did not God not deliver you the way you feel he should have delivered you? Did God not answer your prayer the way he, you thought he should have answered your prayer? Or when you should have, he should have answered your prayer? Well, let's define the word disappointment. Disappointment means sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectations. To fall or to fail to meet the expectation or hope of something. Now, we've used the word hope as a better term, but I think expectation of God intervening in our lives in a certain manner, and he doesn't, could prompt us to have a disappointment in what God's doing or not doing. How many of you are in Anna's Bible study on Wednesday or Monday nights? The name of that book is, It's Not Supposed to Be That Way. It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. Now, what does that title tell you? That everybody has a preconceived notion of how life is supposed to be, and for one reason or another, it's not going the way we thought it should. And how many have found out that God doesn't go along the, the, the life plans that we have? We have our lives mapped out, and 99% of the time, God's plans are a little bit different than ours. I would say 100%. If we find ourselves disappointed with God, it's probably because God didn't do what we thought he should do, or what we expected him to do, when we expected him to do it, how we expected him to do it. And you know, today we live in an age or a culture that, if you look at our country, we're, we're and we said this before, we're blessed more than any other nation on the face of the earth with freedom and everything else. Everything we have, we're just blessed beyond belief. And I think a lot of times when we have these much blessings, we live and we get an attitude of expectation, like a mentality of expectation. We expect some new invention to come along and make our lives better. We expect this pill to make us better. We expect to find all that we need in the grocery stores or the malls or Amazon. Everything we could possibly want, we have. And if we don't have it, we'll find it somewhere. And when things don't work out, we get frustrated. How many of you, now, winter's coming up. Boo. <laughs> but at the first sign of a storm that's coming, what does everyone do? And you, you buy what? 
milk, bread, and toilet paper. You know, we act like we're not gonna make it back to the store in a month and a half. And what happens when you go into the store and the shelves are empty? I'm not gonna live. I'm not gonna survive until tomorrow. Now, when we were in Florida, we actually we experienced a hurricane when we were down there and we lost our power for, everyone lost power for about a week. I mean, you couldn't, go, you couldn't get gas because of, you know, the gas stations didn't have generators. It was, there was nothing. Now, the stores were open for a little bit and all you could buy were canned goods and bread. And the first day we went to the store, you know, the lights were out, the emergency lights were on, and there, it was empty. I mean, that store was totally empty. Bread was gone. They, couldn't, they weren't allowed to sell anything refrigerated anymore. And so all that stuff, it was gone. And we were in a panic because we had no idea when the power was gonna come back on. And at that moment, we realized how much we relied on that kind of stuff. And so we were really shocked when it was out of food and all the grocery stores. If you've been in Florida, there's a grocery store in every corner. And it, I never understood that. Here you gotta travel three or four miles to get to the next grocery store. They're literally every block. And I wondered why that was, and I think it is, because it's all older people you know, down there. And they don't wanna drive too far. So they drive to the closest grocery store and they actually built a, a little shopping mall with a grocery store in the housing development my dad lived in. So all they had to do is basically go through their gate and their gate emptied into that parking lot. That's, that's how so, you know, it's so expecting to have all these things around. And when we live that way and we have that attitude of expecting everything, I think that kind of bleeds over into Christianity where we expect God to do everything. We expect God to do every single thing we pray about. But you know what? And, we, and I think we feel that God doesn't want us to struggle, that God doesn't want us to have any, any hardship or, or burdens in our life. Now the Bible says we're to cast all those things on him but it doesn't say we're going to be without them. How many understand that? Thinking that God is not gonna let us struggle or have hardships or suffer isn't scriptural and it's not really experiential. If I were to show our hands, how many here have never had a struggle with anything in your life? Your life has just been one rainbows and sunshine from the day you were born until now. No, because we all we all struggle. And so if we live in an attitude of expecting God to do this and God should be doing this because everything else is working out for me and it doesn't work out, you could be disappointed in God. And you maybe think God's not fair. You ever think God's not fair? I think sometimes that comes up in my mind. And we wonder, you know, how do we judge fair? But we're gonna look at both extremes today people that God blessed, God used, and God just allowed to have great lives and testimonies. How many know people like that? that they, I mean, their life seems to be really going well. Now, we don't know what's going on on the inside, but from all outward appearances, they have everything they want materially, they love God, things are going well for them. And then you have on the other end of the spectrum, people that, that don't seem to have anything going for them. And we're gonna look at both of those extremes today. Now Hebrews chapter 11, we probably all know that chapter. It's called the, either the chapter of faith or the hall of faith. It talks about 
all the successes and of faithful men and women. The entire chapter is about that. And if you read every paragraph, every paragraph is about one successful guy after another, a successful girl after another. And we're gonna skip all those because we know what they are, but we're gonna skip to verse 32. And the writer to Hebrews continues on and he says, what more shall I say? And he already talked about all these other guys that were great. What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David, Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Now we all know people that God has blessed. God is using in powerful ways. They've done great things for God. They've experienced miracle after miracle after miracle. And their lives on the outside seem to be blessed. They seem to have everything going for them. And you look at that and you say, well, I would like to be that. I wouldn't mind being, you know, some guy God uses mightily for those things. And I think we all do. Who wouldn't want to be thought of as a great, great man and woman of God? Great men of faith and power that God uses in a powerful way. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be that person. We all would like to be that person. But if we're honest, we know those things don't happen every day. We know know that people aren't healed every day. They're not delivered every day. Something miraculous doesn't happen in their life every day. Miracles, by definition, are things that are not commonplace. We prayed and we trusted God for miracles. The thing about miracles is you don't know when God's gonna do it, right? And you pray like he's gonna do it. And you leave the results up to God. God is the miracle working God, he does do it. But we don't know when it's gonna be. We don't know how it's gonna be, but we know that God's in the process of that, so we keep praying for that. A miracle is not something that happens every day. It was that way in the Bible, it's that way today. Because in this chapter of great faith and power and exploits, all these powerful men of God doing these excellent things, then we come to this. Verse 35, same paragraph. He said, others were tortured, refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts, in mountains, and in caves, and in holes in the ground. Do you imagine that those folks prayed for God to deliver them? Imagine that's, I'll be praying that. Do you think they prayed for their suffering to end? Do you think they prayed for God to do all these great things that he did with the other guys in the Bible? Do you think they trusted God at some point? Do you think they might have been a little disappointed in God that he didn't come through the way that the previous three or four verses said? I might have been. And probably at some point they might have been as well. Where was God's promise of deliverance? Where was God's promise of protecting the people that he said to protect? Were these people less worthy of God to answer their prayer? Were they 
more sinful than the other group? Did God need to punish them? Did they not have enough faith to believe? And therefore they didn't receive. What does God say about that? Without missing a beat, he goes on to the verse 39 and says, these were all commended for their faith. The ones who suffered and the ones who didn't suffer. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. I heard a quote from the men's conference that stuck with me, and Gil has mentioned it, and we have talked about it a couple times. It, it really just jumped out at me, and I, I keep thinking about it. And he says, this is the quote. This is the first part of the quote. He says, faith and obedience are not a means to an end. Faith and obedience are not a means to an end. In other words, if I walk by faith and I'm obedient, then God's got to give me what I ask for. If I give God what he wants, then God's going to give me what I want. The rest of the quote says, faith and obedience are not a means to an end. Faith and obedience are the end. Faith and obedience is the goal of God for each one of us, that we walk in faith and obedience. Do I have the faith and obedience to do what God tells me to do regardless of what the outcome might be? Stepping out in faith to do something that sounds ridiculous, you do it not looking at the outcome, but you're trusting and you're operating in faith and trusting God to do it. He gives the example of a lion. I watched a special on Siegfried and Roy the other night. How many remember those guys? The, his, his example was, if God tells me to put my hand in a lion's mouth, I'm going to do it. If the lion licks my hand and lets me go, praise the Lord. If the lion bites my hand off, praise the Lord, because I was faithful and obedient to do what God told me to do and not looking at the outcome of that situation. Regardless of what battles I'm facing now, am I faithful to complete what God has told me to do? Stepping out in faith and obedience is what God wants. That's his goal. Not the outcome of the faith and obedience. That's God's job. If we do what God tells us to do in faith and obedience, the outcome, whatever happens, is God's responsibility. Our job is to step out in faith. When Peter got out of the boat, Jesus said, get out of the boat, Peter. He got out of the boat. And he started walking. He operated in faith and obedience. He stepped out. You know, I could drown if I step on this water. And he didn't until he took his eyes off of Jesus and looked at the situation. But he operated in faith and obedience, looking at it in the natural. I'm not sure I'd have the guts to get out of that boat. You know, everyone rips on Peter for sinking in the water, right? Nobody else got out of the boat. They're all staying in the boat where it's pretty comfy. Peter operated in faith and obedience, and guess what? He was able to walk on water. The outcome for us could go either way. Our ability to step out and try is what God is looking for. Are we willing to step out in faith and obedience and trust God with the outcome? The people who suffered, and actually all of them in Hebrews 11, do you believe that they thought this was a spiritual battle? I mean, if they read the book of Daniel, they'll know 
the spiritual battle aspect of it. So they know it was a spiritual issue. And how many know that there's always a spiritual battle going on? Right? There's always, always a fight going on. Those who were suffering, I'm sure, believed in a spiritual battle. And as long as you attempt something for God, there's going to be a spiritual battle. There's going to be things come up in your life that draw you away from it. How many of you, when you pray, you start thinking of 8,000 other things that you got to do? And there may be important things. Or things that, and even, I don't know about you, but this happens to me. I'll be praying, then I'll start thinking about all the things I have to do in church. But what's happening is, that may be good stuff, but it's interrupting my prayer. The enemy always wants to divert you from what he's doing, and he'll throw things in your way to to keep you focused on something else. When the people that were suffering in Hebrews 11, do you think at some point they thought about giving up? I might have. I mean, you know, we look at that and we say, hey, they were awesome. But if we're in the same position and our lives are on the line, or worse, our family's lives are on the line, and you had to either recant or not recant, what would you do? You know, we like to think we would not recant. Hopefully, that we are so immersed in God's spirit that the Holy Spirit wells up inside of us at that moment to stand tough. But you have to be ready for that. I was telling the kids today, you can't just wake up one day and expect God to be doing all great things in your life if you don't ever read or pray. If you don't take any time to read God's word and pray, whether it's five minutes or an hour, you're not gonna have any information, you're not gonna have any support when temptation comes your way. So these people were probably thinking about it. They may have been struggling with it. They may have been disappointed and God didn't deliver them the way they thought. But you know what? They didn't give up. They didn't recant. God's word says they were all faithful to the end. They kept on fighting. And why did they keep on fighting? Because they knew it wasn't the outcome that mattered. It was being able to stand tall in faith in what God said and leave the outcome up to him. If we realize that we're in a spiritual battle and God's responsible for the outcome, our responsibility is being able to go to battle in faith and obedience. The more we operate in faith and obedience, the, the, the weaker the enemy becomes. The more you step out and do what God's calling you to do, the weaker he becomes. Now, the fights are going to continue, but you'll have strength to go through those. If we realize that we're in that battle, we stand in faith, we stand in obedience with God, regardless of what the outcome is going to be. Because disappointment, if we let it, will lead you to wanting to quit. If you become disappointed in either people or God, you're going to throw up your hands and say, what's the use? Why, why continue? This person is treating me poorly. This person is doing all these things to me. Or God's not answering my prayer. God's not doing things the way I want. Why, why even bother? If God's not doing anything in my life, why do I even take the time to read? 
we're focusing on the outcome. We're not focusing on just the faith and obedience. You're not standing in faith. You're not doing battle for God's kingdom because sometimes it gets hard. How many get, get that? It's hard serving God sometimes. It's hard stepping out in faith. Spiritual battles are difficult. But anything of value is hard, right? And there's always gonna be a battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Now the very next chapter in Hebrews tells us about standing and fighting. Now if you know, when they wrote the Bible, they didn't have chapter breaks and verse numbers. We added that, men added that to help us to get things. So this is one continuous thought in chapter 12. He says, therefore, well, I heard a preacher say once, if you see the word therefore, you have to ask yourself, what's it there for? Because it's linking the previous statements about faithful men and women to what's coming next. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Notice he was including those who did great things and including those who suffered great hardships. Both were considered great witnesses to the life of faith. He goes on, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Now, it doesn't specify what sin it is, and I think that's so that everyone's temptation is a little bit different. Things you'll be tempted with, I won't be, and vice versa. But I think one thing that that can encompass is disappointment. What's the sin that so easily besets you? Well, disappointment. It's easy to be disappointed in, in how life's going, what God's doing or not doing. And so, if you're disappointed, it says it hinders our progress. If I just throw up my hands and chuck it all and say, why use it? It hinders your progress. It hinders what God wants to do in you. There will be, be multiple battles we face in our service for God, and we have to have endurance. How many of you are runners? Oh, a lot of exercise folks here, I see. I'm not one either, so I can't complain. But I have a friend of mine back home who, who's a runner. That's all he's, as long as I've known him, he's a little bit older than me. He runs all the time. He's in every marathon. He's, he's one of these tall, you know, thin guys. He just runs and runs and runs. And I used to be driving to work in the most miserable weather. And you see this guy running. I mean, you got to be crazy. But... <coughs> He's building up endurance, so he's able to keep fighting. He's able to persevere. He's able to win the marathon or finish the marathon where I would get about three blocks, pass out. Every battle you face is a challenge to your endurance. You either fight through it or you let it win, let it beat you. And every time you let it beat you, it draws you a little bit further away from the presence of God. God wants us to take the fight and win it, to do the battle. And winning the fight doesn't mean you get what you're praying for. It means you're able to sustain yourself through it. When the Bible says that God walks through the fire with you, walks through the water with you, that means you gotta make it a point to get through the fire, right? God's gonna be with you, but you gotta get to the other end. 
That's the endurance that they're talking about. Verse two says, we do this, how do we do this? How do we have the endurance? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus on whom our faith depends from start to finish. And then verse three goes on and says, think about all that Jesus or he endured when sinful people did such terrible things to him so you don't become weary and give up. I think the writer of Hebrews knows that our natural tendency is to go the easy way, to let disappointment come in and to want to quit. You know, it's, it's easy to want to quit. How many of you ever started something and you quit because <laughs> it was too hard? There's a movie out, uh, League of Their Own. How many have ever seen the movie? About the girls' baseball league in World War II. It's a good movie. It's pretty clean. It's, it's a good movie. I like it. <coughs> it's a period movie. It's a World War II, 1942, 43 era. And they, they form this baseball league because the guys are all fighting. So they form this pro women's league. And somewhere in the movie, one of the girl players says to the coach, it just got too hard to play. And he says, hard is what makes it great. Because when you win over the hardness, you know you, you won the battle. He says, if it was easy, anybody can do it. Hard makes it great. When you conquer something that's difficult and you succeed and you fight through and you stand in faith and you come out the other end scorched but successful, that's what makes it great. That's what builds your faith. That allows you to, you know what? God was with me in that time. <coughs> and the, the writer kind of rebukes the attitude about being too, you know, no, it's too hard. Verse four says, you know, after he says, don't be weary, don't give up, don't quit. Verse four says, after all, you have not yet given your lives in the struggle against sin. I know it's hard, but you ain't dead. Your life's really not on the line this moment, and you're still alive, you're still breathing, you're not dead. That means you can still fight. How many have kept up on the ISIS thing, the guy they killed a week or so ago, the leader? Now, we in America, we read that and we, you know, we're appalled by it, and, and I know that people are being martyred every day all over the world for their faith. This one is kind of close to home, right? And I found the article about the girl who was martyred. I think she was the only one that was killed by this guy. She had, he had other prisoners, but the girl was a Christian. And I'm gonna read the article that I can't, it's a, it's a synopsis or it's a, like a Reader's Digest version of the article. The girl's name was Kayla Miller. Mueller. It says, Mueller 26 was abducted by ISIS in August of 2013 in Aleppo, Syria, after leaving a Doctors Without Borders hospital there. How many know what that organization is? Doctors to help people that don't have them. It says, U.S. officials said Benghazi tortured and completed, uh, repeatedly raped her at his compound before announcing in 2015 that she died in captivity. Her body's never been recovered. Her fellow hostages, who were later freed, told ABC News in 2016 that she never stopped caring for others and even defended her faith against the infamous British ISIS executioner known as Jihadi John. One former male hostage from Denmark, Daniel Rye, explained that Jihadi John paraded Mueller in front of the other captives. 
It was also a chance for her to present an in-person proof of life by introducing herself. In other words, she's telling all the people, look, she's still alive, I didn't kill her yet, but it's coming. One of her captors started to say, oh, this is Kayla, and she has been held by all by herself, and she is much stronger than you guys, and she's much smarter. She converted to Islam. That's what they were saying about her as they're walking her through. And then she would say, no, I didn't, to their face in the jail. This is what one of the other captives said. Now, the other guy who's saying this about her, he says, I would not have had the guts to say that. It's a very clear to, that us, to all of us that we were impressed by the strength that she showed in front of us. That strength was very clear. Mueller also spoke extensively of how she relied on her faith in a handwritten letter given to her parents while she was in captivity. Mueller's cellmates who were eventually freed gave the letter to her family in the spring of 2014. She ended the heartfelt letter urging her family to give their pain to God. She writes, please be patient, give your pain to God. I know you would want me to remain strong, she wrote. That's exactly what I am doing. Do not fear for me, continue to pray as will I, and by God's will we will be together soon. So I'm thinking if Hebrews is being written now, her name name might be on that list. Do you think at some point in her captivity, she prayed for God to release her? Prayed for God. All the other guys were released, but not her. Do you think there were people disappointed by that? If I'm her parents, I might be disappointed in God for that. But she wasn't. She did not let her disappointment with God or her parents' disappointment with God stop her from fighting the fight. So none of us are being martyred today. We're not in jail. How does that apply to us? Well, because each of us have our own struggles, our own troubles we face in our life. They may not be execution, but they may be serious things, whether it's an illness or a family situation, all of which could be equally disappointing to us that God's not doing what we want. Maybe God didn't heal you the way you wanted him to heal you. Maybe God didn't answer your prayer. Maybe your situations in life are causing you to want to quit God because you know what, it's just too hard. The struggle's too hard. It would be easier for me just to go back to the way I was before and not have to worry about spiritual things. I don't want to bust your bubble, but either you're in a spiritual battle now or you're going to give in to the enemy now because we're always in a fight. We're always in a battle. And I told the kids the same thing. The stronger you feed yourself, you feed the spirit of God, God's word and prayer, the stronger you do that, the more you do that, the better you're gonna be at facing these situations. It's like cramming for a test. If you study all semester for that test and that test comes, you're gonna be ready for it. If you don't study at all and that test comes in the morning, and you got 20 minutes to study, you're gonna fail the test. God wants us to walk in faith and obedience every day. Every little thing, every big thing, everything we walk in faith and obedience prepares us for the time when the struggles are gonna come. And they're gonna come. 
Unfortunately, they're going to come at some point. As the kingdom of God advances and we seek to do what God has called us to do, both individually and as a, as a corporate body, as a church body, there will be things we encounter along the way that will want to make us disappointed in what God is doing or maybe what God is not doing. Remember, faith and obedience is what God's asking us to do, not the outcome. We walk in faith and obedience. What does faith tell us to do? What does obedience tell us to do? The Bible says we are to pray continually, right? Pray continually. So we are faithful to pray continually. We are faithful to pray for that person to be saved. We are faithful to pray for that person to be healed, to be delivered, or whatever the situation might be. We are faithful and obedient to pray until we're dead, right? We pray until we can't pray anymore. The outcome is up to God. And we pray in faith and obedience. I'm going to close with a verse from Daniel. I didn't realize it was that late. Daniel said, you know the story in Daniel, the three Jewish guys told the worship of God, if they didn't worship this God, we're going to throw you in a fire. We're going to throw you in a furnace. If you didn't do it, we're going to kill you by throwing you in a furnace. So they stood up, they acted in faith and obedience, and they left the result to God. Daniel 3.16 says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. How many know that God's able to do it? God is able to do it. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But here it is. Even if he doesn't, your majesty can be sure that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. They were operating in faith and obedience. Whatever God wants to do, I'm good. But I'm going to still serve God regardless of what's going on around me, what, regardless of what the situation, how bad it looks at this moment, and how I don't see any deliverance from this. I'm going to still trust God. And what happened with that? God saved them. God delivered them from the fire. But they knew going in that there was no guarantee for that. But they still did it anyways. There's a lot of things that God calls us to do that we have no guarantee how it's going to turn out. But we do it because God says to do it. The lesson we did in our kids today is, it was called, it was called I think, the raisin, the raisin thing. And it's about this, this kid who would pick the raisins out of his raisin toast he didn't like raisins and they use that analogy saying you know you just can't pick and choose out of the Bible what you like and what you don't like so you just can't pick you know take that part out because you don't like it and you don't like this part and just take them all out so the Bible is the Bible all the way things you like things you don't like it's all God's truth and the more we know that the more we study it the more we operate in what God calls us to do the less we're going to worry about what happens in the end because we know if we're doing our part, we're faithful and we're obedient and we're doing what God calls us to do, the outcome is God's. We prayed this morning for people to be saved. We prayed for miracles to happen. We're faithful and obedient to do that. We keep doing that and let God do the rest because we can't, we can't save anyone. We can't heal anyone. We can't do any of that stuff. All we can do 
is have faith and obedience in what God tells us to do. Would you stand as we close this morning? If you bow your heads for a moment. (coughs) Maybe you're here this morning, you've been in this church either a long time or just a, a short period of time. Most of you know in my church, I sat there for three years in a row and everyone thought I was saved and I wasn't. Which means someone can be sitting here this morning and we all think that they know Christ, but they don't. But I believe you're here for a specific purpose, as I was 30 years ago. God needs to get your attention. You look like you're doing everything right. You come, you participate, but you never made the jump. You never made the leap of faith trusting in Christ. The Bible says we're all sinners. We're all sinners. We've all done things that keep us from having a relationship with God, which means keeping us out of heaven. And the Bible also says that because we have sinned, all these sins that we've done, the penalty for that is death. And death is separation from God after we die, which is hell. But the Bible also says that the gift of God is forgiveness through Christ. If you're here this morning, you've never really asked Christ to forgive you of your sins, to bring you into the kingdom of God, to be a part of God's family. Today's the moment for that. The Holy Spirit's already speaking to your heart. He's drawing you in. The Bible says if you're thinking about God, it's because God's making you think about him. But he's not gonna make you choose. It's something that you have to choose. If you're here this morning, you wanna have that relationship with Christ. You wanna really understand what we're talking about and have that the joy and, and the encouragement we have from knowing we have a right relationship with the creator of the universe. I want you to raise your hand right now. Father, we are thankful this morning. We are thankful that you are the faithful God. Your word is true. We thank you that you filled us with your spirit. You've given us really the ability to walk in faith and obedience. And the more we know about you, the more we study you, the easier that's gonna be. And I pray for each person here that we would leave this place this morning determined in our spirit, anointed by God to be able to do it, that we would walk in faith and obedience in every aspect of our life, not just on Sunday mornings, but every moment of the day we wanna operate acting in faith in what your word says and obedience to what you've called us to do. Bless each person this morning, Lord, allow them to experience you personally on a daily basis. Let their lives be encouraged and challenged every moment we ask in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Have a great week. I'll see you Wednesday night, Bible study, next Sunday. God bless you.